Hey, what's up, tribe? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the TFC Audio Project Down Under. This week, I chat with Braden Small, who is a movement coach and TFC foot nerd based in Brisbane. In this episode, we chat about her journey with movement and her approach with clients, the power of balance training on both feet and hands, as well as the importance of moving through discomfort and fear in training, rehab, and life. This week's episode is brought to you by TFC Balance Beams. They're our favorite simple tool for training balance in a fun and playful way. And each beam comes with our online beam training system to help you get started. We also wanted to say a huge thanks to everyone who's bought one so far. For every order from our store, we donate five bucks to reforest now, to plant a tree, to restore rainforests here in Australia. And we're pretty proud to say that your support so far has helped us plant more than 650 trees and counting. If you don't live in Oz but want one of our beams, we do ship internationally. Our 90 centimeter beams are an affordable option as shipping works out quite a bit cheaper. We also offer wholesale prices for any practitioners, instructors or coaches who believe believe in the importance of balanced training and want to get their clients involved. Send us a message on Instagram at tfc.australia or via email at info at tfc-shopaus.com. All right, so Braden, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. I've been looking forward to this chat. Uh, I've had a few chats with some of the Melbourne foot nerds now and really enjoyed them. Chats with foot nerds seem to flow really well. Uh, And at least this one, I don't have to travel quite as far. Yeah. (laughs) So you're actually the only foot nerd besides myself that's based in Brisbane. And as far as I know, you're the only foot nerd who also likes balancing on their hands. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. So (laughs) we've had some hand balancing sessions and I've got a few tips from you, which have been really helpful. Um, and I'm sure we'll delve into the concept of hand balancing because it's a pretty cool concept. But before we do, I, I usually just like to start the podcast with you know a bit about who you are, what you do and why you do it, either from a personal or professional point of view or both. Yeah. Um, so we'll just start with that. Cool. So how far back do you want me to go? (laughs) As far as you like. It can be life story or it can be summarized. Well, I grew up in Brizzy um, and I guess, well, the thing that got me into what I'm doing today and the thing that I think really brought me to sort of having passion around movement was, I guess, my introduction to gymnastics um, when I was about seven years old. So, um, with gymnastics, you know, it's probably one of the only sports that you actually do barefoot, actually, mm. now that I think about it. Wow. Besides yeah. badminton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's a new sport, though, but yes. Um, yeah, like it's just, it's the only sort of thing where I really found that at that time in my life that I really belonged and I really loved it. And it's, and I think that's where I found my passion for movement and obviously hand balancing and just... Um, health in general so I guess seeing my um my both my parents are very were very active and especially my dad more so than my mom um and seeing him so active I think is also um a big contributing factor that sort of brought me to where I am today so um yeah I'm a movement movement coach based out of Kelvin Grove um specializing now um post foot nerd course more so in feet, foot mechanics and how um, all of that is relevant to um, movement as a whole and how it affects the rest of your body. So 
my training philosophy is train so that your body can be in the best possible condition it should be in. Um, and everything I do for myself and my clients is based around that philosophy. So um, I think, you know, working in an industry that's so saturated with so much information about health and wellness and longevity, I really wanted to just do what I do to make it simple for people and educate them that way. So, mm-hmm. yeah. You touched on a couple of really important concepts there and one of which is training so that your body can be in the best condition possible um, mm. for your body, I suppose, for each individual. Um, everyone's going to be different, but everyone also has, I believe, has a lot more potential than they realize or than mm. they're expressing at that time. Um and that is quite a different, I mean, it's it's becoming more and more, I guess, common or popular or valued, that mindset. Um, but I also know, like, if you look at Instagram or just look at the general state of the fitness industry, that isn't what most people are training for. Most people are training for a certain look or a certain muscle yeah. size or a certain waistline or um, totally those yeah. kinds of things. So ha- has that been... Has function been something you've always focused on as, as a result of, I guess, your upbringing with gymnastics or was mm. there a time that – have you transitioned to that way of thinking? Or? Yeah, so I think, like, again, being a part of an in- industry that's so saturated in information on the way that you look, I thought that, like, for me coming into the industry, I thought that that was, like, quite a simple thing. Like, I thought that because I feel like I mastered that so soon and obviously, you know – we all to to a degree care what we look like. We of don't course. just do this to yeah. for function. <laughs> yeah, it's um, part of a primal status thing. Totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, we we would be lying if we said we didn't care what we looked like. So I think that like that's something that I feel like I mastered early in the industry, and I didn't really, I didn't find passion in helping people with that. Like mm. I thought, you know, when when I had sessions with people when they were feeling strong or they were feeling like pain-free um that was the most rewarding thing for me um and I had a few sessions earlier on where people were were sort of like like I had an older woman come to me and ask me to put her on her health fund and I was like oh no I'm like I'm not actually a health professional Mm. like qualified to do that I can't do that for you and she was like yeah but you help me be more pain-free than my physio does. And I'm like, whoa, like that's, that's cool. Like yeah. the fact that you can like help people with that. Um, I think that that's what brought me to doing that today. Yeah. More so focused. Yeah. yeah. So experiencing the results. So you, you're helping people with function. You never really have like, um, what's the word? Never, never really valued people, uh, helping people chase a look, but you value yeah. people helping people um, improve their movement. And interestingly, mind you, again, it is changing um, a lot more lately, but interestingly, physios or traditionally, a lot of physios haven't been helping people with their movement. They've been helping people with their symptoms. Yeah, And this is where people like movement coaches and personal trainers actually have a lot, generally a lot more power to help people in the right way because people are seeing their personal trainer once or twice a week. Um, and actually, you know, they expect to be receiving movement from a personal trainer Mm. or maybe an exercise physiologist and so on. And obviously there's different scopes of practice that we need to respect, but the, 
the idea there is that someone's movement health can have such such a huge carryover into all the other aspects of their health mm. and you know you might be seeing a physio you know i'm a physio as well and i've experienced this you might be seeing a physio for your pain and they a lot of physios do tend to rely on more passive modalities and that might help with your pain but it doesn't actually necessarily help with your overall movement health yeah 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 totally and i think like um another thing too is taking a really holistic approach i think for for whatever reason just the our way of life now um has sort of led us into the direction of really picking things apart and not looking at things holistically um everything is connected i'm a big believer in that like nothing is separate everything influences the next thing and we are trying to separate everything if that makes sense yeah for sure um, there's a, a big reductionist tendency in our society to, yeah. for people to specialize into certain aspects so we have a specialization for the feet in podiatrists we have a specialization in hands and different organs and mm. you know, this and that um, or different organ systems and you know there of course there is a um there is a role and a place for specialization, but it does really need to be balanced out with that globalized, holistic look at the body and understanding that none of these systems work in isolation. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think when you like take those principles and apply it for yourself, you really, really, really notice it. And with that comes a flexible lifestyle as well. I think it, it requires a lot of time and a lot of people's lifestyles don't allow that almost which mm. is which is a struggle as well so I think it's also like how can we integrate the two worlds like how can we make this way of seeing things work with the new way that is today with the fast-paced mm. work environments and stuff like that it's sort of like integrating the two yeah that's really important I, I think I would say a couple of things about that one is that I think a lot of people have a limiting belief that they don't have time to mm. work on certain things and and eventually their body will force them to make the time. Totally. And, you know, at first people are like, oh, I'm too busy to move or I'm too busy to do prehab exercises or, or to change anything about my lifestyle. I'm just too busy, too stressed. And in one sense, that is a, a failure of, I guess, our work-focused society that everyone is chasing more and more hours or ha maybe even having to do more and more hours to uh, work more and more hours to feed their family or, or whatever mm. um, or pay off their mortgage or all of these important things so in one sense it is that failure of society but in another sense if you don't make time for it now you'll be forced to prioritize time totally. for it later and whether that's in the form of physio session like you just your body goes no this is this is very important now and it gives you that in this in the signal of pain um, and then you go, okay, now I actually have to deal with mm. this. And by that time, it's actually a lot harder to, to yeah. deal with than if you just put in Address the habits and steps to prevent that from happening. Totally. That's why the saying is, I believe the saying is an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yeah. Um, because you just, you actually spend a lot less time preventing than you do trying to fix something. Totally. And then our... Yeah. <sighs> our healthcare systems aren't necessarily well set up to quote unquote fix these chronic lifestyle problems. They're more mm. set up to deal with symptoms and manage more emergency situations, which 
it is very good at managing managing the symptoms and you know even preventing death in emergency situations but it has you, its place yeah it has its for place. sure yeah 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 and there was something else i was going to say about what you said but the the i guess yeah that that sort of signals the the bigger problem is people don't think they've got time until they yeah. have to make time yeah and yeah. that's and i guess that's yeah. where we come in or why it's so important to show people enjoyable ways of mm. of moving like cuz i think people are in that sort of very work focused mindset and they get a if that gets reinforced by the health professional, like you have to do these exercises and these rehab exercises and these prehab exercises and they're boring and it yeah, becomes another totally. chore. And I've experienced it myself, even as a physio student, I've, I was given things to do um, by a physio and I was like, this is really boring. Like I didn't end up doing them consistently. And if you don't do something consistently, then you don't get the result that you should be getting. Mm. And so either you need someone sort of on your back all the time to go, you should be doing this. Or you have something that someone you calling in, you, yeah. Like, <laughs> have you done your two times a day? <laughs> which is not necessarily sustainable, and there yeah. there are all these methods of, I guess, there are all these methods like apps and things like that that track how you're going, mm. and you know you can you can do all these things to sort of optimize for that. And obviously, there are periods and um, contexts where just working through the boredom of a certain mm. thing will get you the result. But we also need to, again, balance that with that play-based approach of totally. this is actually really fun to do. And once you, once you develop a certain level of skill in this area, like say balancing on a beam or balancing on your hands, suddenly you get all of this amazing benefit to your feet and hands and arms and core yeah. and all of these things whilst just oh it's just balancing on a beam or it's like it's it's addictive i mean we can both yeah, agree that yeah. balancing your hands and and balancing on a beam is really fun and and even addictive yeah. so you just end up wanting to do it and it's not an extra chore that you have to add on yeah totally yeah i've seen that with the like you know i use a beam with my clients like regularly and you know as soon as they get on the beam they change like they're a child again and it's and i think intent is everything too like that makes a difference when you've got like you're saying, you've got physio exercises to do. If you approach that with poor intent, you're never going to do the exercise properly yeah. or get the benefit of it. But if you approach something with the intent of play, um, you'll get so much more out of it as well. Mm. Yeah. And even if you have a, a play, more of a play-based mindset to your work, I think mm. that's good. I think that's something that needs to be valued even more is like yes you there are going to be periods where you have to actually work and exert yourself and that's how you make change in your body is through working outside of your comfort zone and pushing your limits a little bit but having that exploratory creative mindset and not just sticking to oh the physio said this many reps and this many mm. sets so I'm oh, going to do yeah. this you know and again there's <laughs> nuance because in certain contexts sticking to that sort of programming is important. Yeah. But also you have to have flexibility. If you're just sticking to a program and completely ignoring the signs that you're getting from your body that you can do more or that you should do less or whatever. Yeah, you, it's not very feels-based. We're like so we're like we're creatures, we're animals. Mm. Like we need to pay attention to that stuff and not not base everything off like reps and sets and weight and, and all these numbers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because 
there's a place for it, but it is it's sort of soul sucking. Like you want to, mm. it's and it's not very empowering if if someone's just saying you know stick to these. And I, not that there's that many people that are saying you have to do this many reps and sets, but generally the more empowering approach is to say, hey, look, you you know your body's going to give you signs about what kind of volume of this activity it can tolerate or how much it can tolerate and how much, you know, or whether you should be doing more or or whatever and linking people or encouraging people to tap into that intuition and that inner, um, like the interoception, like all of these signs that they're getting from inside their body about how they're going, like their energy and pain levels and, um, you know, appetite and all yeah. of these things that our bodies are telling us that aren't based on numbers of macros and you mm-hmm. know, um, even yeah. heart rate variability and s- sleep quality and all these things that can be measured on the, our devices now and steps and you know they can be helpful but if you just rely on all these numbers all the time then you're just tuning out from what your body is telling you totally as well. totally yeah. fully agree yeah and have you found that with clients as well like I imagine some people, you know, if it's their first time on a beam, they're probably like, what is, why is she making me do this? Yeah. What is, what's the, like, what's the point of this? I'm not working out here. Yeah. And then, yeah, true. and then yeah. do you have like a, do there, is there light bulb moments that you see or gradual transitions where people are like, oh, I really, I'm looking forward yeah. to getting on the beam. Yeah. Now. Some people, definitely. Um, some more than others. Some people are more responsive. Um, the main, like, positive feedback I get from the beam is like when someone's playing on there for a while and they finally get their balance and the ability to stay on there for longer than a few minutes and they go oh my god like I can really feel my glutes yeah like you can if you if you're doing it you know if you're on there long enough you can really feel the effects of it so that was that's probably yeah that's the most feedback I've gotten like good positive feedback from the beam yeah 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 yeah. and then people because at first and I imagine it's the same for hand balancing, but at first it's like, I just can't do this. Like this is yeah. way too hard. Yeah. Or, I mean, some people pick up the beam a lot easier, um, but especially for hand balancing. Yeah. You look at someone do a handstand and you're like, oh, that doesn't look that hard. And then you try and kick up in one. You're like, what? Yeah. Oh, like I don't oh. get how I'm supposed to be standing. And, and um, same thing with the beam. Like I guess people would see you or me or, you know, someone who's spent time on a beam standing on a beam. They're like, Oh, that, you know, what's what, I don't get it. They're just yeah. standing on a beam and yeah. then they go and stand on the beam. And they're like, Oh, right. Yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and all of these movements that people are doing on this is, is actually really, are actually really hard. And you feel your feet, you feel your glutes, you feel your whole body moving in all these different ways to remain stable. Yeah. And then, and then, and then you get that sort of light bulb moment of like, oh, right, I get it. And I think picking up the beam is way easier than picking up a handstand. Yeah, um, totally. our legs have been carrying us around, carrying our full body weight around all our life. And so there is that at least some level of strength and conditioning and, and so on in that. But I, I do like the... I guess the similarities between a, a good static handstand and, the beam, and yeah. the beam or just, you know, it's just balance on your legs in general and how you're, it's a bit hard to talk about in a podcast, I suppose, but yeah. how your all of your joints align and stack Stacking, to create yeah. this balanced position and, you know, the, the activation of your core and 
and all of these things and, and learning to balance on your hands can actually tell you a lot about just overall how you should balance in general totally, and yeah. how great you assessment. Should, yeah, how you should align or how, what optimal or, you know, quote unquote optimal or efficient alignment of your joints is because when you align your joints in a good, a good way or in an efficient way and they're stacked, then you maintain balance and obviously yeah. you're gripping with your hands and your fingers which sort of simulates what's happening with our feet on the ground mm-hmm. uh, and similarly when you're on the beam like you get the you get that instant feedback if you're balancing on your hands and your alignment goes off then you fall down yeah totally. or you correct it quickly enough yeah but most of the time fall down <laughs> yeah um, and on the beam if your you know knee collapses into valgus and your foot pronates and you get into that position, it's not a bad position. But if you don't get control of that and get it back into the aligned position, then you fall off. Yeah. And then you get this feedback. You don't need someone telling you, oh look, you you know you collapsed into valgus. You know, avoid that. The beam just goes, oh you fell off. And then yeah. your brain. This is that play explorative play aspect where your brain goes. It just collects all of that data. And then it goes, okay, this is how I organize myself and this is how I organize my body to remain stable. And you become so much more connected with your body as well when you're on the beam and when you're doing handstands. Like both of them are such a great assessment tool because you get someone on the beam, it'll tell you everything you need to know about their body just like instantly. Like Mm, it's, mm. you know, you can do all these fancy assessments, but um, the beam just uncovers everything. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, same with handstands. Like if you're working through like an eight week block of like a hand, like if I do my eight week handstand course, um, just going start to finish and going through all the steps and processes leading up to, you know, the final goal, which is a handstand along the way, um, it will reveal different things about your body that you might not have already known like you know you have weakness here you have instability here this is why you can't do this this is why you can't do that Mm. um and the more that we do things like that and the more that we play and and use our body in multiple planes in different ways the the more connected we become with our body as well so the more we learn about our body um and then I think long term you know that's great like long term you know you're going to avoid things like injuries and falls and stuff Mm. like that like moving your body in in so many different ways is long-term so beneficial yeah yeah Yeah. you become more connected and also more adaptable like yeah totally there is the there's the concept of like the said principle with specific adaptation to impose demand so your body will adapt specifically to the demands you placed on it yeah um and so you know in one sense Balancing on a beam gets you better at balancing on a beam, but it does also make your whole system more adaptable so that you can then apply the same, it's the same strategies that you would apply on the beam that you could apply, say, you know, exploring nature or, you know, obviously there's natural beams like logs that you can balance Mm. across, but, you know, even rock hopping I've found or any kind of natural movement really um, can be improved or facilitated by spending time on a beam so that's not to say that a beam is a replacement for nature but it's a good preparation for nature and i guess similarly with hand balancing like it's a bit of a party trick and Mm. there's really no survival or sort of quote-unquote functional need to balance on Mm. your hands but it is fun and it gives you an insane amount of conditioning through your hands wrists fingers elbows shoulders like 
And the confidence, the yeah. confidence that it can give someone, you know, coming into an eight-week program, being a flat-out beginner and then getting a handstand by the end of it. It's like, oh, wait, I can achieve this. You know, what else can I achieve? Like how that will follow through For onto sure. the rest of their life as well. So Yeah, and yeah. Some, something that they thought was impossible. Like there's no way I can handstand. Like yeah. no way. Like it's just too hard. I'm too weak or it's the ba- I, I'm not good at balancing. Mm. And then they go through the steps. And yes, there's work involved. And this is that sort of work play continuum or spectrum where you put in work, you condition your body enough so that then you can play with the skill that you're yeah. learning and then that becomes self-sustaining yeah. and, and I guess, yeah, that, that positive cycle of, Oh, well I can hand balance. What else can I do? Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think handstands are one of those skills, I guess those flashy kind of skills where people go, Oh yeah, I want to learn to handstand. And it's becoming a bigger and bigger thing. And, and you mm. go, oh, that looks fun. I want to learn to handstand, but it does, open you up to, you know, potentially other gymnastic skills or other um, tumbling or uh, even like ground movement things like, cause you're actually with handstands, you're actually starting to interact with the ground more. And, you know, it certainly opened up, me up to more like locomotives and um, I guess capoeira type things like yeah. cartwheels and things like that, which maybe people don't, people don't usually look at a cartwheel and go, I want to, learn to cartwheel I guess some people do (laughs) Um, but if they do a handstand then they're like oh can I then enter this handstand in a different way through a cartwheel for instance or you know it's just opens you up to yeah like you said the the other potential uh, the the greater potential of your body yeah totally Mm. yeah for sure and um I think it is it's very lucky like I didn't grow up learning gymnastics I did spend a very small amount of time in oh I don't know when I was very young doing like a few gymnastic classes and then I got back into it in grade nine or something with like once one class a week for I think a year um but even that exposure I found set me up really well for Mm. learning a lot of other skills and and mind you throughout my life I did practice a lot of different sports like um, soccer, tennis, basketball, swimming, volleyball. Like I just had a crack at pretty much, not pretty much everything, but that makes a sense. lot of different things. Of course you did. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and I'm that type like, oh, cool. That looks fun. I'll play that. Uh, I'll play that. And fortunately my parents were like, yeah, sure. Like you know, yeah. ch- pick and choose. And soccer was my main thing. Um, but I found obviously playing a lot of different sports, but also even just that that little time I spent in gymnastics gave me a huge amount of confidence to just try things because Mm. I guess in a gymnastics setting, there's soft floors, bouncy floors, foam pits, you know, all these things. So much going on. Because you... Gymnastic skills are so hard, like you're guaranteed you're going to fail while learning a gymnastic skill. And so having an environment where you can just fail and failure is expected and yeah. you know you sure you might get hurt but things are set up so that you've sort of minimized that hurt I can only imagine what it would have been like spending like your whole childhood <laughs> growing up yeah. in those environments I mean I know there's like a very I guess competitive and hard work concept to it as well but 
I mean, talk about your yeah, interesting experience en- with that. Interestingly enough, I'm actually not a competitive person, like, at <laughs> all. Yeah. But I think, like, with gymnastics too, it's the only sport where it's, like, you are in a team, but a lot of the time it's, like, it's very, like, individual kind of based sport. And it requires a lot because you're doing four-hour sessions at one time. So the thing that I think gymnastics taught me was it it teaches you organization skills because in that four hours you're pretty much you have a coach obviously to coach you and facilitate the session but a lot of it requires for you to do a lot on your own as well Mm. and to make sure that you get all of the elements done in that four hours so because there's beam bars floor vault and then on top of that there's all the agility work mobility and strength so you've got to fit four apparatuses, strength, conditioning, mobility into four hours and you've got to do parts of that on your own. Mm. So it required a lot of um, independence as well yeah. and um, and I think too like it, 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 it definitely shaped me I think as well into the person that I am somewhat um, because of those elements but – but yeah, it's it's really interesting like that. Yeah. yeah, I think it's such a such a an amazing thing to be exposed to from a young age. Yeah, is that obviously that element of I think it is. It's really cool. I mean, I if I was when I have kids, I probably will get them into gymnastics. Mm. Probably not competitive gymnastics. Yeah, um, but you do get that really cool mix of work and play where mm-hmm. it is hard work and you do have to be disciplined and you do have to be independent in that sense. But also I imagine it would have been a lot of fun playing on all that apparatus yeah, as well. It's and- fun. I remember, I actually do remember being scared a lot though, like because you are falling a lot and I was always worried about getting injured. But I think that worked really well for my personality at the time because it made me realize you can fall and get injured and you're going to be okay. Like it's all good. Like you can hit the ground hard and keep going. And I think that teaches a child a lot too, like not wrapping you in cotton wool. So important. And that's that element of risk, like play can be risky. And yeah, if if you're careful enough, then nothing good or bad will ever happen to you is a saying that I like because Yeah. yeah, if you wrap yourself in cotton wool, you might save yourself from getting injured short term but you don't know what kind of issues that's creating in the long term yeah um, which i yeah. think would be a lot more a lot worse than yeah a little short term injury and i think i got out like just in time that the amount of time spent doing it for me um i sort of exited gymnastics really healthy mm. um so it had a lot of obviously those mental benefits that we discussed but also physical benefits as well Mm -hmm. um but not to the point of where i was walking away with like 10 injuries like most gymnasts are so there's it has its time span and it's a lot shorter than any other sport Mm. um so it's not something that you can do forever yeah like like you could with other sports yeah it is very yeah i guess gymnastics as a sport is super high load on the body Mm. like it's a lot yeah it's it's a a lot and i think I think what most people could do is, you know, maybe go to an adult or if you're a kid, obviously, or if you have kids, you know, send them to like more of a a non-competitive, I would think. Obviously, if they want to compete in gymnastics, let them compete. Um, 
but at least expose them to the like the awesome variety of like you said strength mobility balance and if you're an adult then there are usually adult gymnastics classes that you can go to that do teach you some of these skills and and there are a lot of adults who have never experienced that concept or that feeling of falling or the Mm. fear of even just yeah that fear of exposing themselves to something that is way out of their comfort zone um but then having like you wouldn't want to just go and backflip in the park and see what happens but if you if you have someone coaching you and and showing you the progressions you do like like we were talking about with hand balancing you do build this confidence of like oh oh, actually i can do that i can do a backwards roll now Mm. oh i can jump up and roll oh i can you know do a flip with someone um there to spot me and whatever yeah and the body awareness you gain from that too body awareness and coordination is another really really big thing coming from that yeah yeah and that and like we said that that carries over into pretty much any other skill Mm. you learn as well so obviously if you're learning to backflip then you your body adapts to that load and that skill of backflipping but the coordinative coordination ability um and the mobility that you get from training that can then carry over into other skills as well yeah which is really huge i um speaking of backflips did i tell you that i was learning to backflip a few years back and landed on my face (laughs) oh my god because i was like did you you balk at the top um what happened so i've got a video of it on instagram I i should show you afterwards but um i was so I did all the, I think I had one session where I was just sort of learning the basics and did the drills. And then the next session, um, I brought my mate along and we, we worked through the drills and we did some spots, you know, onto mats and so on. And I was like, Oh, I'm actually, I'm getting this. Like, this is cool. And then I tried a few just by myself. It was on a, not a sprung floor, but it was like a, a matted, it was like a gymnastic mat. Floor, yeah. But I think not I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so it was soft. <laughs> but not that soft. <laughs> and then I think I got tired and you can see in the video, mm. I wig myself out. Like I sort yeah. of do a few things. I'm like, Oh, and like maybe my body knew I was a bit tired and I went up and I basically just, yeah, flattened out at the top and didn't tuck enough. Yeah. I'm excited then, to see this video. Yeah. You should link it on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I should. I should. Maybe it might be on YouTube. I'm pretty sure I did like a, a YouTube breakdown of it Yeah, at the time. Um, <laughs> And it was, it was not, I was just like, I mean, it wasn't a complete landing on my head, but my face, like I ended up with a huge carpet burn and yeah. chipped teeth and or maybe a chipped tooth, I should say. I'm making <laughs> it sound worse than it was, but, uh, and very sort of knocked around. And I was like, oh, like I, the feeling you get when you land on your face is like, oh my God, yeah, it just right. ruined my whole face. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, no, like, yeah. <laughs> My teeth are all smashed and my nose is broken and all of this. And in the end, it was literally just carpet burn and a chipped tooth. But then yeah. um, my coach at the time, Morgan, uh, this was out at Perform 360. Yeah, yeah. She was like, you know, checked me out. Are you okay? You know, like, and I was like, yeah, no, I am okay. And I sort of looked at myself in the mirror. I was like, okay, it's not too bad. Um, and then, you know, it was a bit of blood in the mouth and so on. But she was like, okay, it's it's important that we if you're up to it, let's do another one spotted onto a mat. Yeah. Just to get over the, just get over that. Yeah. Um, because if we leave it now, you'll never, you'll never come back to them. And true. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool because 
I was like, I do want to keep doing backflips. I don't want to have this. That is really good. Yeah. I'm glad that she made you do that because that was one of the things that was big. And, and obviously she's got a background in gymnastics yeah, as well. Yeah, she was very competitive for, yeah. for a long time. Yeah. yeah. So that was one of the things, walk away and come back and don't be fearful of something. So if you, you know, yeah, if you get an injury during, a, um, during anything and you just walk away from it but don't come back to it that's when it is worse yeah. yeah and yeah. funnily enough after that i didn't keep training backflips with her but that was because of my knees yeah <laughs> so yeah so the time i was dealing with uh you're having knee the, issues yeah. yeah yeah tendinopathy in both that's right. quads yeah um and so i was like all this jumping is not helping and i had to stop jumping basically but i then used that as an opportunity to get to sort of vastly improve my handstand skills, which yeah. they did a lot. Like coaching, coaching for hand balancing makes all the difference because you just don't know what you're doing upside uh, down. And you need another eye, like yeah, as well. Like you if have you, to. yeah, totally. If you've got a bit of a background in it too, and you want, like you know enough, but want another eye. Like even someone like me, it would be valuable for, exactly. for progression. If I wanted to say go and do like single arm handstands or something mm. like that, like I have an idea of what I need to do, but it's I'm going to get so much more value out of a coach oh, big time it makes all yeah. the difference like uh, i'd been dabbling with handstands for like three years before that just trying to kick up and yeah. do wall stuff and everything mm-hmm. and literally like a month with morgan um, a month of coaching of only like once a week i uh, had like a good line and because i had the mm. base of strength and you know general body awareness that i picked up throughout my years but it literally just take took a few tweaks which i never would have got myself and then yeah like, oh i feel it now and mm. yeah so having that coaching but then i did end up coming back to backflips like maybe a year or so after oh, that was when my I next fixed, question <laughs> fixed my, when i when my knees were um stronger and no no longer painful i did get back into it but i think you know having that experience of falling in your face there is still that element of like is that gonna happen mm. <laughs> there's like a little bit of that hesitation and fear um but you really do just have to i guess push through that or acknowledge that it's there and then you need to do all the progressions that you need to yeah to go as basic as you need to and just build up it's in our like mind and body's best interest to like keep us safe so those fear responses are like you need to like almost thank your body like Thank you for reminding me that I need to be safe, but yeah. I don't need you right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, it is true. It's that balance of of respecting your body's signals of yeah. like, oh, this is scary. And like, yeah. you don't really need to flip. You might yeah. hurt yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but then going, no, I want to learn to flip um, or I want to learn to hand balance or I want to learn to whatever. And... You know, I understand the fear, but I'm I'm taking this. This is the whole concept of, and it applies a lot to chronic pain as well, which I've worked a lot yeah, in. Yeah, okay. That gradual yep. exposure to things that seem scary at first, but are are within your capabilities. Mm. Um, or even just exposure. To, you know, rather than going, I guess in the flip example is, I'm not going to go and flip by myself at the park or on concrete <laughs> because mm-hmm. I I know that that it would be too scary for me. Yeah. But if I went and did the steps, got some help, did some backwards and... rolls again, did some mat stuff, did some foam pit stuff, did some spotted stuff, did some soft floor stuff, and then got so confident, suddenly the backflip on the concrete or on the, at the park isn't that scary anymore. And maybe it is a little outside my comfort zone, but I'm like, well, I, I, I've trained this so many times that I think doing it on here mm. is pretty safe. Like I, 
I know I can land a backflip, so now I can. I, yeah. I'm, I'm saying this hypothetically because I can't do that at the moment. James but. is going to film a backflip and <laughs> yeah. then post it on the link right, of this. Yeah, right <laughs> after this. I've got these nice soft mats to do on. Um, but, you know, similarly in chronic pain, and, and you've probably experienced this with um, some of your clients as well, even though they're not s- sort of technically seeing you for their pain, but you go, oh, I think you can do this movement. And having someone there to go, yeah, you can do it. And then they try it and they're like, oh, that actually doesn't hurt as mm. much as I expected it to. Yeah. Um, and just knowing the principles of progression and regression and, and scaling movements, you can have so much power or it gives someone so much power uh, to be guided through something like that. And then for them to experience like, oh, I, I can do this part of the movement and I can see how that gets me towards yeah. this other movement that I want to be able to do. Yeah, and they really need and see like they people need to see the confidence in you as their coach and and knowing that whatever level that they're at like you said there is a regression and a progression mm. and that gives people comfort as well just yeah. reminding people that they can do it we're just so adaptable like you know we're, we're capable of so much and like yeah like our bodies are capable of so much pain and so much like everything and we can adapt so easy and we just need to remind ourselves of that as well yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and that I think having that as a general mindset and then acknowledging like, oh, I'm really, um, that, that, you know, X, Y, Z makes me really uncomfortable. I should find someone who can take me through the steps of getting past that discomfort because, you know, it is something I'd really like to do or, or whatever. And, And I think hand balancing is a, is a great example and, and, I think even just movement, like getting confidence with movement in general. And this is why I think, you know, the, the role of a movement coach is so profound and important is people have just lost touch with their confidence just to move in general. And, yeah. and it's just a lack, really, it's a lack of exposure. But um, sometimes people just need that guidance of like, yeah, this is correct. And, and that discomfort you're feeling is okay yeah because we're, we're out of touch with that as a society we're out of touch with what's good pain or bad pain or you know good discomfort and bad discomfort and a, a yeah. lot of a lot of training and progression involves that sort of good discomfort or even sitting on the ground at first people are like oh, i don't mm. want to sit on the ground that's like uncomfortable as that can't be good for me it's like actually no that that discomfort you're feeling is actually lack just a of sign exposure. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That you haven't exposed it. And the more you sit on the ground, the more comfortable you become. Yeah. And suddenly now for me, sitting on the ground is more comfortable than sitting in a chair mm. because sitting in a chair makes me feel antsy and like, and stiff. And it's like, well, I'd much rather sit Can on move the ground. so much on the ground. The yeah. amount of positions we've changed today exactly. <laughs> between the two of us. Like, yeah. Which yeah. is why I always try to do, well, I, I always do the podcast sitting on the ground or standing up sometimes for Zoom podcasts. But yeah. um, especially, you know, if I'm with someone face to face, sitting on the ground is the way to go. And, and you do just get, we have a whole podcast on this, um, but you just get all this free mobility gains. Like people, yeah. are, people are trying to mobilize their hips and, and um, feet and ankles and everything. But then they're sitting in chairs for the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. And it's like you're just taking one step forward and two steps back. Yeah. So let's let's take away those two steps back and then you get extra steps forward as well. Um, it's sort of, it's just 
I think, oh, that's what, <laughs> this actually takes me back to one of our original points that you were saying. Yeah. People don't have time. The time Or they thing. feel like they don't have time. The, yeah. So in one aspect, we, they need to just start making more time to look after themselves. Yeah. And in another aspect, they just need to include more habits into their daily life so that it doesn't yeah. take extra time. So it makes no difference to our time doing the podcast, whether we sit in a chair yeah. or sit on the ground, except on the ground, we get all this mobility um, and you know, just good things for our body. Whereas in a chair, we're getting the opposite. And so it's like no difference in time, but it's just a habit and what you're willing to expose your body to. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I think that the hardest battle for me is getting clients out of chairs. That's such a battle. Like People love their chairs. Oh my God. Like, yeah, (laughs) I could go on about that forever. But like, yeah, I think tools to change habits is valuable as well. So, um like different things like maybe setting an alarm on your phone or like just utilizing what we have, like the technology we have for good and using it to sort of Mm. help us break habit. Yeah. 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 And just, well, what has you been, what has been in your experience with clients getting them, like have you successfully convinced someone to ditch their chairs most of the time and spend more time on the ground or is it an ongoing battle or? Yeah. I, I really, I've got to pick my people as well. I've noticed, like, I feel like people <laughs> yeah, will just, fair. yeah, people will just shut off um, when I go on a rant with this kind of stuff. Um, and when I started my course, like, I, f- I feel like in my life, this is the most thing that I've been passionate about is everything that I've done with um, the Footnote course and just the pillars of health, that way of living, like I'm so passionate about it. And I had to be really careful at the start because I was almost like really pushy with it. (laughs) Um, And some people don't respond well to that kind of um, way of approaching it. So I've had to tone it back a little bit and just be careful with like what I say to certain people and not be careful, but just not feel like I'm trying to push it onto them so much. So my like way of doing it is I'm just like drip feeding information to people and then you know I know that when they're ready like they will come and sort of more so approach me to help them with that kind of stuff and the sitting stuff like that so um yeah I guess I kind of went on a bit of a rant about that (laughs) but um in terms of like trying to get people out of chairs that's probably the most difficult thing and some people have um change to the stand desk but then again that's just going from sedentary to sedentary mm-hmm. but it's somewhat better that they're getting up and down at least yeah. and then just adding things like um getting a trigger ball near their desk so they're standing and triggering their feet um actually there have been a couple of people really responsive i should say to that way of living and they have noticed physical benefits um with that so that's been that's been good i think yeah yeah, what you touched on there is very important and it just it's pretty much just comes down to meeting people where they're at. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's the same physically or I guess mentally, psychologically. Like physically, you don't want to force someone to do something that's just way too much for their body because they're probably going to end up in pain or they're just yeah. too uncomfortable and then they're not going to want to do that thing again. And similarly, Baby steps, yeah. yeah, if you, you know, someone comes in and I found this myself when I first started learning a lot about health and movement and all of these things you know you do start to get a bit like evangelical about it you're like 
like everyone needs to be doing this. Like, I know. How can you not yeah. see that? How is your, no one? Your yeah. F- shoes are messing your feet up. Yeah. And how can you see that? Like, you know, the all shoe these battle. Things. That's the other battle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and and people are like, hey, like back up. Like my shoes are fine. Like mm. I got this. You know, these are good shoes that I paid good money for, or, or whatever. And then you do run the risk of sort of losing them or, or losing the rapport that you could have otherwise built through baby steps yeah. and then they, they start asking you questions about your shoes and oh, why do you wear shoes like that or, or whatever, however it works. And I think that's a part of why I was really keen to start this podcast is because what I have found with people who have listened through all our podcasts, they, they do get drip fed all of these philosophies and concepts yeah. that start to make sense as, as part of a greater whole. And they're like, cool. Oh, okay. Movement, nutrition, and then, play and um they start to piece it all together all of this kind of makes sense as a a general philosophy for i guess natural living rather than you know me someone asking me a question why do you use those shoes or or whatever uh and i go oh well (laughs) blast them for an hour about all these things that i can sort of say or or you know people can use the podcast as a resource to go, you know, there's a bunch of podcasts, pick something, you know, you can, if you want to, if you're open to it, then, you know, this topic is really interesting or whatever. If you're interested in this topic, there's a whole podcast on that, you know, and then that way someone can listen listen to it in their own time. They've chosen to press play on this podcast. They're, They're in a state where they're probably more open and willing to learn. They might be driving, they might be walking or just doing housework or whatever, but then, they're much more likely to take that in versus especially unsolicited advice from someone going, you should do this, this and this. Yeah, (laughs) I did start. It was really cool. I um, got a little bit of um, feedback from it, but I was doing foot talk Fridays on my client page. Oh yeah, cool. And I was, that's how I was drip feeding them information about um, just like feet and the damage that shoes are doing and just different like topics like bunions and stuff like that and how they're not genetic and the rest of it. And, I was like just sort of drip feeding information like that. And um, that was really good actually. I need to start that up again. Mm. Um, And another thing that I've been doing, which um, is sort of helpful with the the movement side of things is I've been rather than doing like a program or like physio sort of exercises, I've been sort of giving people like a movement schedule that they can print out and just put on their fridge and tick off as they go. And it just gives them little like, so they can like, when they walk past the fridge, they can like just pick something and then go and do it. So it's not taking away like a huge hour out of their day, but five minutes here and there. And it works well for people who work from home. Little movement snack. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Rather than a fridge snack. Yeah. 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 Or I guess you could have both. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) While you're at the fridge. Yeah. Grab a snack and and do a movement snack. I think that's yeah. that's huge as well, having little snacks because mm. people, yeah, again, people do sort of seem to, th- do tend to think of exercise as this thing that is separate to the other aspects of their life and mm. like, oh, how can I fit in all this exercise that I need to? But if they do have little snacks like that, it t- doesn't tend to take away from their day. Like they can fit it in easily and it actually... Um, makes their day better like the more movement you get the more focused you are the more energized Mm. you are in general and so you can actually 
I find I work a lot better if I'm including little movement snacks throughout mm-hmm. the day rather than just sort of tapping away at a computer or, or whatever. Yeah, it's like a study break. Like if you just yeah. like if you're working or doing something and you are losing concentration or focus, run down the road and come back and <laughs> you'll feel better. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. And um, instead of because a lot of people like you're gonna, your brain's going to have to take a break from focusing anyway. Mm. And so a lot of people will take that break through scrolling social media, myself included sometimes. Yeah. And it's very hard not to do that. TikTok. But <laughs> I'm, I'm not on TikTok Don't yet. Don't get and I'm TikTok. I'm not going on it because I feel like that would be dangerous. That is like, that's like ruthless. Like yeah. you just. They've cracked some kind of code, haven't they? It's really scary. Like, because I think when you like. I'm not going to go into this too much because it's a waste of time. But if when you create your profile, it, you tick your interests. Uh, and I tick comedy. So a lot of the ones that come up are really funny. And I'm just sitting there like, at least I'm like getting the benefit of like laughing. laughing. But, yeah, yeah. But they know, they know what they're doing to keep you hooked. But yeah. So, and of course, everything in moderation or, you know, th- certain things at certain times, I'm, I'm sure it would be good to scroll TikTok. And I, I know there's good stuff on TikTok in terms of like, you know, cooking tips or yeah. DIY tips or whatever. And yes, there's value in some of it. But if you can trade at least some of that scrolling time for movement time, yeah. you'll find you feel a lot more energized. You've much better place to go back into focused work mm. and you're doing your body a good thing and maybe you go onto tiktok and all you follow is movement videos yeah and then you know <laughs> you, you, have TikTok, ideas. <laughs> you move and then and then you you know go back into work or whatever maybe you could set up something like that um but yeah the amount of time and i know this just from personal experience and also just everyone i've talked to the amount of time that gets wasted on mm-hmm. scrolling social media is insane and yeah. people feel like they're out of time for everything else. But if they actually added up the amount of time they're spending on social media, like loose time, not even like not related to work or whatever, yeah, then they'd be like, oh, I can fit in a lot more. It's scary. And like <laughs> yeah. when, you're, when your work is on social media, oh. you get caught in the trap of scrolling. And you can justify it. Oh, it's yeah, work. But I'm, it's, I'm yeah, looking at all I these work people's... on Instagram and Facebook. It's like, oh my God, that someone needs to create a no scroll app where you <laughs> yeah. can only like access the social media platforms without the feed. Yeah. So that you can, that, maybe that I should, should have kept th- that to myself. <laughs> yeah, you should develop that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've found, I've been, I've been through different strategies and ways and I, I do find... One, if I separate as much as I can, I do all of my social media work off socials. Like if I'm doing captions uh, or whatever yeah. or creating videos and I'll try to create all that stuff off it and then all I have to do is copy paste and put it Great. in. Right, yeah. Um, and second, I've found that if I am, you know, if my, my sleep, if I'm sleeping really well, eating well, moving well, moving frequently um, and just sort of hitting all those aspects i really do find that i i don't have anywhere near as much temptation to go and scroll like i'm just on a good zone yeah, and i'm just like i'd rather just go and move i'd agree with that yeah yeah, yeah. so there's there's two that. sort of ways to handle it but mind you there's still definitely plenty of times where i just get on a scroll like whatever you call that like a scroll hole where you're yeah, just yeah, like yeah, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> and then we next still minute 20 up. minutes is gone and you're like what have I just been doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But don't get TikTok then. Just don't do it. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, funnily enough, it is on my phone. <laughs> but I've somehow escaped, like, even just the thought of going on there, I'm like, that's probably not a good idea. Yeah. Because I don't have a TFC Australia TikTok. And I, I don't go. think I'm going to. Mm. Um, 
but I do have TFC Australia Instagram and Facebook, obviously, and so there is that justification to go on there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of different strategies. There's a good book called Digital Minimalism that I read yeah. at the start of the year that I really rate and I would recommend to anyone listening um, about all of those concepts. And he actually recommends not having a social media account if you can. At all, yeah. Because it does sort of give you that... We talked about this in, a, in the Tribe podcast a few episodes back, but social media gives you... It's like the junk food of connection where it gives mm. you this sort of reward, chemical reward. dopamine bump yeah. of like, oh, I got a like or a comment. Yeah. And it gives you that, oh, cool. I, you know, I'm the social status thing. And it mm. does tap into those sort of primal reward centers. But it doesn't give you the, the you know, in quotes, whole food nutrition connection of facial expression and voice tonality yeah. and touch and you know, all of these things that actually really matter for us. Um, for connection. For actual connection. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. sort of, it's, it's fake connection. Yeah. But it can be a very good tool for facilitating in-person connection. So it's, yeah. a, it's a tough balance. I've, I've talked about that. Uh, I talked about it with Andy as well, because he's doing really well on the social media side of things. And he, he is. A lot yeah. Of engagement. Shout out to Andy. Good yeah. job. Shout out Andy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... You know, I'm just talking to him how he balances that because he gets so much engagement on his posts and so many comments. and He does, yeah. Um, which is great and it, and it facilitates conversations and it gets people thinking differently and everything, but... That's you know, like a really good example of someone using the platform for, like, really good. Yeah. Like, I'm really... He's, I'm thinking of the right person, aren't I? Podiatrist? And he, yeah, yeah, and yeah. yeah. He's, yeah. It's great and... I'm like so stoked that a barefoot podiatrist is doing that well on social media. It's so cool to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. It's awesome. And he, um, yeah, another one on social is the barefoot podiatrist, Paul Thompson. He, he does a yeah, good job. Yeah, I follow him too. I yeah, think. I think recently he hasn't, uh, he's not as active as Andy and they have a you know a different style, but it's both so, it's very important for, this is what I chatted about with Andy actually, is it's very important for people to be able to go on to their social media and see, oh, oh, there's a podiatrist recommending these things. Oh, there's a few podiatrists recommending, yeah. this, recommending this. This isn't just, you know, some hippies who like being barefoot. Or yeah. whatever. It's like, oh, now there's a physio and an exercise physiologist yeah. and a movement coach and a podiatrist and a um, naturopath and all Smart these people, people that are going, yeah, yeah this is important. Um, we need to look after our feet and this actually relates to our whole body health as well. And then if they see all of that, that, in their social feeds, it's like, oh, I should probably think about getting some barefoot shoes yeah. or going barefoot more often or eating real food or sleeping better, you know, because they see it all from this, like it's a community, and which is, yeah. I guess, the power of the collective aspect is um, having that, I guess, more authority through collective, collective wisdom rather than, oh, that person, I just blindly trust what that person says. Um, and so... Which yeah. we've fallen into the trap of that. Mm. It's like with um, specialists or like, you know... Yes. We just listen to them and we just you go to your GP and you do what you're told. And yeah. it's only like these past three years that I've gone, like started really, really questioning everything. You need to have like a healthy level of skepticism and a healthy level of being open with all of this stuff. And mm. I think it's it's just requiring people to think for themselves a lot more, which requires more effort, which yeah. is, you know, yeah. that's another conversation. It is, it yeah. is. And 
I think it, the internet is a funny thing. Like on that note, in one sense, there's so much more access to information and, and I guess ability to think differently to what a specialist says, or, you know, obviously there's, I'm not saying that everyone should go out and just ignore what their specialist is saying. No, not um, at all. Every, everything serves a place. Seek second, yeah. opi- second opinions. For, yeah. There'll be, if you go and get an opinion from four different specialists, the likelihood is you'll probably get at least two or three differing opinions on what you should do. Mm. Um, depending on, obviously depending on the condition and all of this, but no, it's not like all of medicine has one opinion on, you know, X, Y, Z, and everyone is an individual. And if the main thing is that you find a specialist or an opinion or a perspective that is empowering to you. If someone's Mm. saying, you know, you're going to be managing this for the rest of your life and you're probably going to be in pain and you're probably going to need, you know, a surgery later on, then get a, definitely get a second opinion Mm. because there's probably going to be someone out there that goes, Oh, actually, you know, we can, we can fix this. If you do the right rehab and you do the, you know, make the right changes, then we can even avoid surgery. You know, you'll find someone who has a more empowering approach. Yeah. And, I mean, they've found, I mean, countless times in research with lots of different conditions, the biggest predictor of outcome is your belief as to whether something's going to work or Agreed. not. And your, uh, your I guess, um, what do they call it, therapeutic alliance with the practitioner you're working with. And so if you've got a good rapport with your practitioner, you believe that what they're doing is good and you're empowered by their approach. Yeah. Stick with that. <laughs> and, a, and a bigger example of like seeking different opinions, a bigger example of that is my grandma was given six months to live about nine years ago. Right. Yeah. And she was just like, they just wouldn't take it, take that for an answer. Mm. And that becomes your unbelief as well. Like she believed that she wasn't going to die. She yeah. didn't die. And she, and she did, they did everything in their power to, you know, keep her alive and outsource things that weren't even regulated in our country yet but Mm, she's still here so it's like don't yeah that's like a bigger sort of example of that it's so interesting how that works i do remember having this conversation with someone recently i can't remember if it was on a podcast or not but some people like there is that placebo and nocebo effect where a nocebo effect is basically a negative effect of a of someone basically a negative effect of a belief so someone tells you you've got six months to live and then your body goes right i trust this person they're a doctor or you know they're someone in authority and they say i've got or it might be a shaman you know it might be you know anyone six months to live it's the science i trust that person chemicals in your brain isn't yeah. it yeah yeah your, the, your belief will physically change yeah. your physiology big believer in that yeah and i mean it's been proven time and time again that it does and you suddenly you go well now i'm gonna die and then you die or you have the opposite effect, like you said, with your grandma. It's like, nah, f you. Like, yeah. I'm gonna survive this. You yeah. can't tell me I've got six months to live. Like, you don't, you don't. Like, no one really knows. Yeah, no people one. People just nah. say that because, oh, like, oh, other people have lived this long with your condition at your stage, and it's like that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I'm a different person. I did hear a story. I don't know how true this story is, but I did hear of someone getting the wrong test results and given. Six to month, six months to live, and they they monitored their health over the six months, and it declined, like rapidly. And this person was fine, but they got written, they got given the wrong results, yeah. and it's just it, it, like 
our minds have so much power over our physical health and the connection. Like we've we've managed to somewhat separate them so much, but the brain and body are not separate. Yeah, there's no way you just like, can't separate them. You cannot. No. Yeah. 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 It's it's huge. And and books for that, if anyone is interested in, there's um, the Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton. He's like the father of stem cell um, oh, epigenetics. Cool. Like he he was the first one to be like. Oh, Actually, the environment controls the expression of genes, not the DNA itself. Uh, I'm going to have to read it's that. It's really good. I haven't read that yet. Um, also a good listen on Audible. I think probably even a better listen than it is okay. a read. Um, and then You Are the Placebo by Joe Dispenza um, is, oh, a, yeah, is yeah, another Joe. really interesting yep. one. Um, and, you know, people, again, this is something, it gets into like territory where people are like that's woo woo you know you can't but change not, this but it, it's, it's so not science anymore. backed it yeah is, it's not woo woo anymore you just haven't looked at the science yeah if you think it's woo woo you just actually haven't looked at the science yeah um it's you, it's the chemical breakdowns in your brain it's your yeah. stress response and the, yeah. and the and the hormones that you create in your brain from stress response yeah has an effect on your body like yeah. it's pretty it's i mean it's, it's simple yeah it's simple biology and yeah. physics and so you know reading those books and you know, the whole concept of you are the placebo is in every clinical trial for anything, especially pharmaceuticals, we have to control for the placebo effect. Oh, yeah. So why? Why is that? Because the placebo effect is the most powerful mechanism in the world, basically. It's like your brain, you could be you could be taking a sugar pill and your brain will have an effect of what you're expected to be. But you know that you're a test subject. (laughs) Yeah. Um... And, and it goes even deeper, like they've, they've done uh, studies on dentists where, you know, a control group of dentists think they're giving a placebo pain medication, but they don't say that to their patients, but the patients get more pain just because the dentist thinks they're giving placebo, but wow. it's the same medication, it's, yeah. it's actual medication. So there's all of these things going on under the hood that we don't fully understand yet, but what we can be sure of is your belief in what you're doing matters. And, um, and if someone's giving you a, a, I guess a negative belief of that, you're going to be in pain long term, or that you're going to be, you know, dysfunctional or, you know, you've got something wrong with you. You're going to die. Seek a second opinion and And question everything. Yeah. That's the moral of the story. (laughs) Question everything. Don't just take everything at face value. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and lean towards things that, empower you to take steps on your own to improve totally because there's there's too many i mean i do believe all health practitioners are well-meaning and even people like the even people and doctors who say to people you've got six months to live they're coming it from a coming at it from a place of i don't want to give this person false hope i've seen people die from this and i want them to be prepared Mm. and you know to make the preparations with their family Family, and and so on so it's still coming from a good place but i think they just don't realize how damaging that can be so damaging yeah yeah it's it's crazy to think that they still with the more current research and current studies it's crazy to think that they still do that yeah but not everyone stays up to date with all that stuff and seems that way yeah but it is it's changing i mean i don't know whether it seems like it's changing to me because i just hang out with people because you're in it yeah (laughs) and you sort of get in your own bubble Um, yeah i don't know collective consciousness around you yeah (laughs) yeah which is a thing it's definitely a thing even social media feeds are, are optimized for you to see things that you agree yep. with and, and like and so on. And so 
there is that element, but at the same time, it is clear that with the power of the internet, we can make more and more change uh, and connect more and more communities who are on this wavelength. Um, but there is a lot more change to happen. Like, uh, There's a lot, yeah. I think I was saying to Andy, like, I'm like, oh yeah, it's so, you know, barefoot stuff is getting so, um, <laughs> so popular now. Like, it's so <laughs> awesome. But then I catch myself and I go, hang on. Everyone you pass on the street is not wearing barefoot shoes. I, I, yeah. 99 point something percent of people are in dress shoes or modern athletic shoes. And yeah. it's like, Ooh. I walked past someone the other day wearing Vivos and I was running and I almost stopped to have a conversation with them. Cause I was like, it's really rare that you'll come across someone wearing those. And I'm like, that's someone I need to connect with. Yeah. And I was like, I was like kind of in a bit of a groove. So I didn't stop, yeah, but fair. I do find myself running and trying to, cause I do, I do all of my running in my vivos and haven't looked back um, and injury free. Um, and I find myself running, looking at everyone's shoes and I, I don't, one, that's one person yeah. in four years of wearing Vivos. I know. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. Like it's... And then you, when I passed you running that day. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and you're looking at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's crazy because you do get into this thought bubble of like, there's so many people who are into barefoot, like awesome. Mm. And then you do walk along the street and you're like, actually, that's a tiny fraction and we have so much to change. Mm. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about the running stuff as well. Yeah. Um, so were you running before transitioning to barefoot um, shoes or be- the, all these barefoot concepts or did you pick it up as a result of getting into the natural yeah. movement, more of the so, natural movement side of things? I've, I want to say I've been in my vivos for nearly four years and only consistently running for that long. Like I was running um, before that. Um, I had a bit of a different perception around running when I started in the industry because a lot of the people that I was around were anti-running <laughs> um, and that kind of warped my perception of That's it. That's that sort of lifter gym yeah, mentality. Yeah. Like, There's no need to do cardio. Yeah, just yeah. Go. yeah. totally. Like I, That's how I started in the industry was with powerlifting and I was right. I competed in powerlifting, which now I see is like it's added so much value to get me to the point that I am now but very anti-running. So I sort of only introduced running when I sort of started getting into, yeah, like I'd only been running for maybe a year on and off. Um, In sort of normal shoes? In normal normal shoes, yeah. yeah. Not enough to be able to make an assessment or like on my body running in those shoes, like not enough to feel the effects of running in unnatural footwear. Um, so I don't have much of a measure against the two, so I can't really talk about yeah. that too much. But um, the longest run I've done in barefoot shoes is a 15-kilometre event, and I honestly can't remember the last time I had, a, had an injury. Yeah, that's awesome. So I think I'm eventually, like, I love running and I love helping people with their running, and I do run events and got one coming up in June with a group of ladies um, who are actually running in unnatural footwear, but um, <laughs> it is a battle to get people into natural footwear with running because of the stigma around barefoot running when it's originally came out. I'm not really sure how long it was ago, but I know a heap of runners um, who are well-known in the running world transitioned to the shoe and it created quite a bad name because mm. they didn't do it properly. Yeah. So I'm really big on um, transitioning properly and 
helping people transition um, as well. And I want to, again, not push it onto these ladies, but provide them with the information they need and then they can reach out to me. And lead by example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm just going to continue, like I said before, just drip drip feeding people information about um, natural footwear, the causes of continuing to run in unnatural footwear and what and the effects that it'll have on your body long term. Yeah. And um, just touch base with them and say, hey, do you want to look at transitioning? And a few of them have shown interest. So um, it requires a lot. Like it, it requires a lot more from your, um, you know, lower limb strength. You need to do more than what most regular runners would be doing, you know, more soft tissue work, more like planter work, more calf strength beam all that kind of stuff mm. um but it is doable like i'm evidence of that it. and it's worth it and because otherwise again you're gonna have to spend time on that at some point the shoes just cover it up for a while the shoes just allow you to get away yeah. with it for a while and then you know 80 i think it's 75 or 80 percent of runners get injured every year so yeah it's like there's something's gone wrong yeah <laughs> and so obviously technique is part of it general conditioning and strength and mobility is a is a part of it um and the shoe you're wearing will affect both of those yeah yeah and um i also help my partner transition from um unnatural footwear to natural running and he ran 30ks yeah that's epic which is insane and doesn't he run straight barefoot as well he does yeah he's a, he's a savage isn't yeah he, he is <laughs> he's like got like proper slave feet though like i reckon his like heritage is like fully slaves true because they're so like wide and, and thick and, and thick and yeah, rugged right. did yeah. he spend a lot of time barefoot growing up or yeah yeah was he like a farm boy or something or small town ballina yeah. oh yeah um but he i'm guessing was exposed to being barefoot when yeah. he was younger and growing up and then at the beach and stuff like that they don't really wear shoes around there i'm pretty sure yeah yeah <laughs> rarely yeah. so he that had helps. Yeah. yeah that's a that's my other battle too is getting him out of those pointy work shoes ah yeah i gotta find he, him some minimalist dress shoes yeah because he's um obviously in vivos when he trains mm. and then he's still yeah, still in the pointy shoes. I've got to get him out of that. <laughs> yeah, there's some good options now. There's Vivo shoes that are more like I've got some. I think I'm just going to buy him a pair. Just, yeah, yeah. Give it to him for his birthday. Or yeah. Just like a random gift. <laughs> oh, I got you a gift. Yeah, yeah. He's expecting it. I'm okay, nice. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, no, that's cool though. I mean, it is, yeah, I think we should stress the importance, like you said, of transitioning properly because there was a big boom of barefoot shoes back in the day and. And people are like, oh, that makes sense. Like, yeah, natural mm. running. Like, And then they just went out and did the same volume they were doing in their traditional shoes, in barefoot shoes. It's yep. like, your feet are not ready for that. And they no. ended up with stress fractures. Heaps and, of stress fractures, and yeah. And all of these things, plantar fasciitis. And you, your body was not ready for that load. It's not the, that the shoes were bad. It's just that your body wasn't prepared for that load. Yeah. And then, well, yeah, you're right. It got a big, it got quite a bad name. Um, podiatrists were like, oh, that gave them a good excuse to be like, barefoot shoes are orthotics. terrible. Here's some and, you know, yeah. oh, make sure you're supporting your shoes, even your feet even more. Um, and I'm pretty sure Vibram ended up in a lawsuit over it and, oh, you know, it, because so of some of the claims they made. Yeah. And actually Nick and Mike did a whole podcast episode. It's one of the earliest ones on that Vibram lawsuit, just breaking it down. Oh, really? Yeah. It's a good Interesting. listen. Interesting. Yeah. Cause it's like, yeah, I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, but, um, 
yeah, transitioning properly and doing all of the things you need to. But like we said, it is worth it. And, and I've found... It is. I mean, even I've found like... Because I do a fair bit of foot strengthening work and calf strength and beam work and all of that. And I was like, oh, this is last year. It's like COVID lockdown. I was like, I might start running. Um, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I should just test out, like, what can I get in a 5K? And I didn't like try to run the whole way. I was like, what is my average speed if I'm walking when I feel like I need to and running when I feel like I can? Yeah. And um, for a week, my calves were like jacked like i could barely walk and i was like what have i done i was like this is the exact thing that i warn people against yeah yeah yeah. um and i think you know sometimes you just got to experience that like oh that's right that was too much for my body like i'm running as a new like it's i mean i've ran before in my life but i've never been much of like a runner except in grade seven when I did kilometer club, which is like you just <laughs> run laps of the oval and get stripes on your arms for how many yeah, laps you yeah, do. Yeah. Um, which was great. It was like, I was so fit. That's my, good All for my kids. sports improved yeah. and everything. Um, so that was great. But uh, I've never really kept up with much running, but it was something that I was really keen to do. And then I ran and I was like, oh, but I didn't treat that as like, oh, running's not good for me. It was like, I did too much. I'm going to do less next time. And Scale I'm going to build it back. Up gradually. It's your body. It's, it's giving feedback. you pain signals. Yeah. Running isn't bad. My shoes aren't bad. Yeah. None of this is bad. All you it's need to do is feedback. say, thank you for the feedback. Yeah. <laughs> now I know what to do. <laughs> I'll respect you now the next time and I won't run as far. And, um, but I have found that getting into running more recently and, and just understanding the principles of natural running and mm. the principles of the technique having not I haven't really needed any coaching but I've my body is also on top of that sort of layer of strength and mobility my body has sort of self-organized and found a good running yeah. technique just yep. you know because I don't have anything in the way my my body's in decent condition to do that yep. and I don't have big chunky shoes that are getting in their way so I can just my body is just sort of figured out an efficient way to do it and it will and that's what our bodies are designed to do yeah. to find an efficient way to do things exactly. and um and the load and um, exposure that running naturally has on your joints and muscles is so beneficial. Like, mm. and you can really feel it. And y- oh. y- we should all be able to run a little bit. And I say that to my clients. It's a part of taking that really holistic approach to your training. Like, I'm never ever going to push some push them to do something where it's going to have a negative on their health negative effect on their health long term i'm only going to expose them to what's going to be really beneficial long term and mm-hmm. a small amount of running exposure i say is really really beneficial at least being confident to run yeah it's so like and confident in and your I body, think yeah. being confident to sprint like mm. that's something that people should be working towards because who knows when you're gonna to have to sprint like we don't have to run away from predators or whatever but you might have to run away from someone or you yeah. might have to yeah. run to someone to save them. You know, like you, people always think emergency situations won't happen to them until it does happen. Mm. They're like, I wish I had been prepared yeah. for that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously God forbid, or I hope that never happens to anyone, but just being, having the confidence to run and to sprint if you need to, um, and just having that ability does represent a good level of athleticism that will keep you in good stead. For, yeah, and we're not um, trying to be like professional yeah, athletes. Yeah, it's like yeah. that's that's the thing. It's that healthy balance of like, like what, 
how easy do you want to make life for yourself as well? Yeah. That's another question you need to ask yourself is, is everything that I do in life, is it hard when I walk up the stairs? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I need to change that. Yeah. Just different things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's like, it's like choo- choose your hard. I think there's, a, there's an Instagram mm. post that went around. It's like, what was it? It's like, you know, becoming financially adept is hard. Being in debt is hard. Choose your hard. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, learning to run and sprint is hard. Not being able to walk up the stairs and sit up, sit up out of a chair when you're older is hard. Choose your hard. Like, mm, yeah, <laughs> it's stuff can be hard, but you're gonna if you put it in now, it's generally a lot better than it's getting having people, the hard later. <laughs> yeah, it's getting people out of that short term brain yeah. into long term brain. It's, yeah, that's, that's very that's very hard <laughs> to go <laughs> short term to long term. Like, yeah, we, yeah. we as humans do prioritize that short term, short term like, pleasure and pleasure yeah. and survival over long term. Yeah. And for good reason. Back in the day, we needed that. We needed that. Yeah. It's like when people say, like, I don't have motivation to go to the gym. It's like no one is motivated to go to the gym. The gym is the most unnatural environment for us yeah. to be in. And it's in our body's best interest to con- conserve energy. Yeah. And in our mind, that's not necessary because energy output back in the day was like running away from something yeah and nothing is attacking us so why would we need to go and exert so much energy it's like built into our systems i need to tell people that i'm just like look i don't most of the time i'm not motivated it's just habit like habit yeah like and you sort of especially for those sort of gym strengthening things but then you obviously then there's that balance of play as well, which helps sort of tie it all together. And exactly. you do you do learn to at first. I think I always find it's a momentum thing, and like you said, a habit mm. thing. Where at first the thought of especially, I mean, even me who 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 has spent a lot of time exercising and training and moving in different ways. If I get out of the habit, like recently with um, my foot injury, I've barely been able to do anything that I would usually do. I haven't been able to run. I've barely been able yeah. to walk. I've only really started walking properly the last week. Wow. Um, and, you know, is that, is that that's on it the there, top? yeah. It went, that- it, it went pretty much all the way through, almost all the way through. It's like, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, so Brayden's now looking at it. It's, it's funny, it looks really good on the bottom and then on the top it's like this thickened bizarre. scar tissue. Cause yeah. It was, yeah. Anyway, um, and I've been out of the habit and now it's like the thought of doing stuff. I mean, I like moving, but the thought of working hard is like, oh, do I really have to do that? Mm, yeah. But, but then you- once you're in the habit, it's like, yes, I'm going to yeah. do this workout. So it's just... It's that momentum, like your body sort of, it gets used to being more still and so it kind of wants you to stay more mm. still. And then if you get used to being more active, then you it wants you to stay more active and yeah. it's a self-fulfilling sort of yeah. self-sustaining cycle. Um, but yeah, that, that actually might be a good place to wrap up. Um, yeah. We're coming up on time. <laughs> I feel like we could probably talk for another for couple ages. of hours. Yeah. Um, but we should do a follow-up podcast yeah. Um, yeah. later in the year and... We're in talks, it's sort of taken a bit of a back burner, um, but we're in talks about doing a, a feet and hand balancing yes. workshop. So um, we'll work on that over the, over the coming months and, and then maybe we can do a follow-up podcast uh, once we've had once those done rolling that. out and yep. sort of chat all about that. Uh, but everyone listening and stay tuned for a, a cool feet and hand 
workshop. Yay. Um, start the hand collective. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, has anyone started that yet? I don't know, but it would be pretty funny. That would be funny. I don't think there's not as many issues with hands. I mean, th- people do have hand issues, but people don't wear funky, chunky gloves every yeah, day yeah, yeah. mess their hands up. So um, yeah. someone should start that, though, you know. Just for handstands. Could be us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Stay tuned. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but um, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you. See ya. Thank you.